Turn your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10. As you begin to turn there, there are some things I want to also bring to your attention. Uh, Miss um, uh, Deborah Anner contacted me this morning by way of email and from Honduras. And her father is cancer and has been given uh, about four to six weeks. And so you pray for him. He is in Missouri, so she'll be coming home uh, this probably these next few days to spend some uh, these remaining days with dad. So you pray. Uh, missionary served on the mission field in Argentina for many many years. Great family. Pray for them. She also mentioned that Mark Leake, uh, missionary, was in Belize now down in Honduras. Uh, also is uh, quite ill with COVID. So ask that you would pray for him. Uh, that just for healing to be there. Uh, Miss Ann Trail. I also want to mention Miss Ann is be having. Uh, knee replacement surgery on Tuesday. So let's be lifting her up in prayer as she now moves into this bionic uh, era of life. Uh, that's not true. I shouldn't say that. You pray for her and uh, that God would give her quick, quick healing and she'd be back on her feet very, very soon. Mark chapter number 10 in your Bibles. Uh, this is the passage that Seth read for us a little bit earlier. I won't read that entire passage um, in your hearing at this point, we'll work our way through it. But I do want us to go down uh, to verse number, let's begin reading in verse number 23 through 27. And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth, Again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust, this is the key, that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. The question this morning is, what are you trusting in? Here are these folks who are trusting in their riches, can't enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? Jesus looking. Upon them saith, with men it is impossible, but with God, but not with God rather. For with God all things are possible. The subject is who can be saved. And the the issue is this, you can't save yourself. It's impossible, but not with God. With God all things are possible. With God all things are available For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The title of our message this morning is One Thing Thou Lackest. One Thing Thou Lackest. Let's bow our hearts together in prayer. Father, as we come to you this morning, as we open up the precious word of God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would use your word to speak to hearts. Lord, mold us, melt a heart today of stone that needs to be saved. Mold us into your image And Lord, we ask that you would glorify yourself. And I pray for Holy Spirit enabling. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The story before us that we read just a bit ago that Seth read for us is a very familiar passage of Scripture. I doubt, dare say, all of us would know this passage very well. We find the story of what is often referred to as the rich young ruler and his encounter with God. This should have been... And could have been, in this encounter, this rich young ruler should have been and could have been a life-changing. We might need to go from this to this, brother. And could have been a very life-changing 
experience this encounter of this young man with the Lord. Um, But we see in this story, as we look into it this morning, we see that instead of a life-changing encounter, it became, and it was, an eternal destiny, and it became a, a sealing, if you will, of the eternal destiny of this young man, a sealing of his destiny in a place that the Bible describes as the lake of fire, where the worm is not quenched and the fire dieth not. An eternal destiny we see in this life of this young man. But it didn't have to be that way. It didn't have to end that way. For this was the young man's choice. This was the young man's decision. This young man, what he did was reject the truth. You ever known anybody that you've just told them some truth and they just flat out rejected it? This young man rejected the truth of Christ and he rejected it from the very words of Christ. Wow. What a condemnation. To whom much is given, much is required. And But let me also say that although this young man was speaking very in the presence of Christ and he heard Christ speaking, we too are in the presence of Christ. We have the Word of God. This Bible is the Word of God. And so God speaks to us just as clearly as He spoke to that man. But as that young man heard the truth, he rejected it. Had this young man received the words of Christ and not rejected them, eternity would have been forever different for him. Would have been forever changed for him. And when confronted with the facts of eternity, this young man could could have been saved. And let me say he should have been saved. When we go out this Thursday, we'll have Bible tracks. And on these little fans, they're just a, a little a bit of an advertisement, if you want to call it that, or just an acknowledgement of the church where you can find information. And on there, there's a little QR code. Some of you realize what know what that is, a little QR code. And you can put your fa- phone on that thing, and it'll take you to a to the... Lakewood Baptist Church website, and it'll take you directly to the website to a place where you can hear and witness through a, what's called a, a gospel film, a very clear gospel presentation. When people do that, they'll be confronted, they'll, be, they'll hear the truth. And at that point in time, you cannot remain neutral with the truth, by the way. You either receive it or you choose to reject it. And so they'll be confronted with the truth. And this young man who was confronted with the truth, he could have been saved, but he rejected it. And as far as we know, the Bible doesn't give us the end of his life, but we do know, at least at the end of the story, that he walked away from God and he walked away sorrowful because he chose to reject the truth. The story of this rich young ruler has been recorded for us in... Mark, we find it in Luke's gospel. We find it in Matthew's gospel as well. Possibly this story is recorded in all three of the gospels because God wanted us to know this story. He wanted us to know this story. God wanted us to see how this man rejected the truth and the outcome of it. A man, understand this, a man can know Bible truth. A man, woman, boy, and girl can know Bible truth. Uh, Bible truth can be in a man's head, but unless 
He receives that Bible truth unless what is in the head is allowed in receiving to migrate down into the heart where it can lodge and settle. And there when it lodges and it settles in the heart, it produces a change in the way that man lives. You see, you can go through all through Harrison and Chattanooga and find a whole lot of Bible truth. And you can find a whole lot of people that will parrot back to you what the Bible says. But when it comes to Sunday morning, when it comes to Wednesday, when it comes to living for the Lord, they seem to be nowhere found. You see, there's a head knowledge, but until it migrates down into the heart, and the way it migrates is therefore receiving. The moment we receive the truth, we believe the truth, we take the truth as part of our lives. Then the change is made. Then the difference takes place. Romans 10 and 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. With the heart man believeth. You have a head knowledge. and have no heart understanding. No heart knowledge. No heart change. A knowing about Christ is not enough. Let me say that again. Knowing about Christ is not enough. There must be again that receiving of Christ within the heart, which after that, it affects the will. It affects the lifestyle. It affects the going forth from there. It's the receiving that brings about the redemption, the regeneration. It's the receiving that brings about the results in a changed life. The Bible uses this term, born again. Uh, Jesus said to a very religious man, you must be born again. He had a head knowledge, but it needed to migrate down into his heart. And when it migrates there and settles there, it makes a difference there. And new birth takes place. It's from the heart. This young man in our story, he had heard the truth. He had become knowledgeable of the truth, but he would not receive it. He went away sorrowful and remained that, as far as we know, we remained that in that condition, lost forever. Forever lost. I wonder how many people sit in church pews all across America in churches just like this one. Bible preaching and gospel singing. <laughs> Boy, great music this morning. My sins are gone. I wonder how many times we sit through these kinds of services and how many people would sit through these things. Time and time again, we've heard and we have the knowledge of what the Bible says about salvation as well as about other matters of life. There's been the hearing, but there's never been the receiving into the heart that produces the results in the life. You see... A man can miss heaven, I believe, by 18 inches. The 18 inches is between here and here. You can have it all here, but until it settles here. Have it in the head, but not have it settled in the heart. This man chose his way rather than God's way. He said, I, I want what I want rather than what God says. I'll take my untruth rather than God's truth. His eternal death... Everlasting life, he chose this death over the everlasting life. Whatever the Lord speaks to your heart this morning, let me just emphasize, please. 
Whatever the Lord speaks to your heart about this morning, hear it and obey it. Hear it and obey it. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but take that next step. Become that doer of the word. Receive it. Please don't choose to reject it. Let's examine the life of this young man this morning and the story so that as we look into his life, we see the decisions that he made and we examine it so that we do not make the same choices, so that we do not go down the same path, so that we do not remain sorrowful, so that we do not walk away from the Lord, but yet in seeing what he did, we do just the opposite and we come to the Lord. We draw nigh unto the Lord. The three areas that I want us to look at this man this morning, and I will call them under this, three points to consider, and we'll have several sub-points under these, but I want us to notice, first of all, his status. Secondly, his seeking. And thirdly, his sorrow. Notice with me his status. Who was this young man? As we consider his status, we get to know a little bit about him. Matthew tells us that he was a young man. Let me just say, serving God at a young age is the best time to begin. You can serve God at any age and praise the Lord for that. Amen. God never gets through with us. But to have an entire life, to have all the years that may be ahead to serve the Lord, it's better to start serving God now than to have to fix some problems and carry some baggage with you way down the road and try to fix it somewhere else. It's better not to have the baggage. Better not to pick it up and carry it along with you. And all of us have got saved later on in life and say, you know what? We're still carrying some baggage. We're still reminded of some things that we wish we hadn't done. We're living with some consequences. That's why I believe the devil's out to ruin and steal the lives of our young people, of our teenagers. That's why it's important that we pour the Bible into their hearts and their lives. That we give them as much Bible as we possibly can. Not just in church, but in the home as well. Give them as much Bible as we can. Listen, the world's pouring the world into them. The world is pouring immorality and pouring uh, uh, wickedness, lasciviousness. The world is pouring everything into them. You better counteract it. You better fix it. You better help them to know the truth. And the way to know the truth is pour the Bible into them. Don't neglect that very, very important thing. This man was a young man. The Bible tells us that he was a man of privilege. All three of the gospel accounts tells us that he had great possessions. Even as we read in just a moment ago, Jesus makes mention of it. He says it's hard for a rich man, uh, for a camel rather, to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man enter into heaven. So Jesus makes mention of his privilege. This man had not only privilege, but he had a position. Luke's account says that he was a ruler. Likely, no doubt, a ruler of the Jews. He was a Jew. He had position as a ruler. He had position over others. Not sure exactly what this may have been. May have been religious position. May have been a magistrate. We do not exactly know. But we do know that he was a ruler. He had position. He had position financially. He had great possessions. He had positions publicly. Uh, Certainly people looked up to him. He had a position religiously. Uh, This man was a steadfast keeper of the law, the Old Testament law. 
uh, as we see in our text, and we'll note it again in a few moments, when Jesus confronts him with the law, he says, these things have I observed from my youth. He was a student of the law. Not only was he a student of the law, he was a keeper of the law. He was, you could say, a very moral man. This man lived a good moral life. No doubt he was looked up to as a financial leader, as a, as a uh, public uh, face in the crowd, a religious leader. From all outward appearances, it seems as though this man had it all together, this rich young ruler. He had everything going for him. Uh, maybe he even carried the right Old Testament Bible with him. Maybe he dressed in the, the right Old Testament prescribed way. Uh, maybe he attend, attended worship faithfully. Maybe he helped others regularly. Everything on the outside looked in place and set right. If you just saw him, you'd say everything looks good with this fella. Yet as we'll see momentarily, in spite of what he looked like on the outside and what you heard coming from him and the outward appearance, there was something badly, wrongly missing on the inside. Jesus said you lack one thing. This thing you lack. There was looking good on the outside, but it was something missing on the inside. The truth of the matter is, really for all of us, a person can set out, we can all set out in our Sunday best to look pristine for others to see, look pristine while we're in church on the outside, but yet on the inside, we can be lacking. We can be empty, spiritually bankrupt on the inside. You see, we can dress up the outside. But on the inside, be far away from God. I like what Dr. Tom Farrell said. And by the way, please be praying for him with his cancer. Now, I've said it before. It came from him. He says, you can be in church, but not in Christ. You can be in church. You can be in a pew. You can look good on the outside. You can be where you need to be, but not in Christ. We can put all the trappings of religion all around us and upon us. But we can be totally void of any relationship with Jesus Christ on the inside. This man had status. He was religious but lost. There's a whole lot of people around the world that are very, very religious but still remain lost. We see his status. We know a little bit about him. But not only do we see his status, but secondly, notice his seeking. His seeking. Verse number 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, speaking of Jesus, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Here we see his seeking out of verse number 17. Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, in this seeking, we notice, first of all, there's a concern. 
If you are seeking, you have a concern about something, you are looking for an answer, this man went looking. There was a concern in his life. Although he had everything on the outside that looked clean and pristine and like everything was together, there was something that was missing on the inside. There was a concern in his seeking. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? You see, that was the concern. Even though he was doing all of these things, even though he was religious, even though he had financial well-being, even though he was seen in a very high-ranking place, he was still empty deep within his heart. And the same is true with every man. It's been said that God puts a, a, a void within the heart of every man, and the only thing that can fill that void is Jesus Christ. Amen? People try to fill that void with drugs and with alcohol and with sex and with everything the world says that you can fill that hole with. And it will never fill the hole. It will never fill that void. Only Jesus Christ will fill that void. Only Jesus Christ will take that heart with a hole in it that's been made wicked by sin and cleanse it up and remove it and do holy, spirit-filled surgery on that heart. And take a heart of stone and make it one of flesh. That's what Jesus does. This young man had a concern. He had a concern about his eternal security. About his eternal destiny. Let me ask you this. Has it ever concerned you about eternity? Have you ever just stopped to think about it? Have you ever been concerned about eternity? You know, I dare say many people would say, I never really thought about it. I never really thought about it. I'm living for today. I'm living for what this world has to offer. I'm just living day to day. I really haven't given any thought. Have you ever had a concern about your eternity? Let me ask you this further. Have you ever been concerned about death? Does death concern you? Does it ever concern you about dying? Have you given that some thought? Has heaven or hell ever been a concern of yours? Has heaven or hell ever been a concern of yours? Or we just assume that everything's going to be okay in the end. The good will somehow outweigh the bad and we don't have to even think about it. Do these things ever cross our minds? Let me just simply say they should. They should. And let me add further, they better. They better. What we think in our contemplation of eternity, our contemplation of heaven or hell, our contemplation of eternal life, these things ought to cross our minds. Hebrews 9 and 27, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. You see, death is coming for all of us. Either death will take us out of this world or we'll go up by way of the rapture. I trust it will be by way of the rapture. But either way, to be absent from the body, the Bible tells us to be present with the Lord. It's appointed a man once to die. You ever thought about dying? We think about others dying, don't we? You ever thought about dying yourself? You see, this young man was concerned about eternity. He was concerned about death. You see, just because you're young doesn't mean that you're going to have More days to come. Just because you're a teenager doesn't mean that I'm going to grow to 
old age, become gray-headed and have grandchildren and great-grandchildren and maybe even more than that. Just because we're young is no guarantee of tomorrow. This young man was a young man, but he was yet concerned about his eternity. He had the right question. Right question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He asked the right person. He came to Jesus. He had the right timing. The verse number 17 says, When he was gone forth into the way. Again, that's speaking of Jesus. It was the right timing. Jesus was going forth in the way. He was young, but youth does not promise tomorrow. Listen to 2 Corinthians 6 and 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Proverbs 27 and 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring. Don't say that I've got time. Don't say that I have tomorrow. Don't even say that I'll have another opportunity in a church service just like this. Don't ever say that because the fact is we're not guaranteed This young man understood this. He had the right question. He came to the right person. It was the right time. It was now is the accepted time. Now is the time of salvation. Isaiah 55 and 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. While he may be found. There may come a situation where you'll not have the ability to call upon the Lord. There may come a, a, a sickness. There could be a, you say, preacher, are you trying to scare us? If I, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just simply trying to give you what the Bible says. There may be an accident that would cause us to not be able to think properly, to think clearly about situations. Call upon the name of the Lord while he may be found in your heart, in your life. Listen, is God calling you to salvation? Is God calling you to do something for Him? Seek Him while He may be found. There may be a time in your life when you will not be able to find Him. While He is in the way, while He is dealing in your heart, that is the time to seek Him. That is the time to call upon Him because Jesus is near. When death comes, the opportunity to be gone. The rapture takes place. Before we leave out of this building today, the opportunity would be gone. It was the concern and the seeking. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Number next, not only was the concern in his seeking, but there was the confusion in his seeking. The confusion in his seeking. Verse number 18, And Jesus said to him, Thou callest me good. There is none good but one, and that is God. There was a confusion in his seeking. First of all, there was the confusion about who this Jesus was that he was asking. This man was confused about this matter. He calls him good master. That term would not have been used by Tor or for any of the rabbis. He calls him good master. In other words, the idea here is he was simply saying sinless master. Good master, sinless master. And Jesus responds to that and says, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Understand that Jesus was not denying his sinless perfection. 
He was not denying his goodness, but he wanted this young man to realize that this good master that he was addressing was God himself. He wanted to see and realize that that the one that was standing, the one that he was hearing speak to him was God incarnate, God in the flesh. Why would you call me good master? Again, not denying it, but the realization that, he, that God was dealing with him. There was a confusion about the seeking, who Jesus was. There was a confusion about the commandments. Verse number 19. Jesus says, Thou knowest the commandments. In response to what must I do to inherit eternal life? Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. Verse number 20. And he, the young man, answered and said to him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. There was a confusion about the commandments. Matthew's account says that Jesus said to the young man, If thou wilt enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. If thou wilt enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. I can hear a whole lot of people maybe outside this building that would hear that statement and say, See, we told you so. We told you so. You got to keep some Old Testament law in order to be saved. We told you so. But that's not what Jesus is saying at all. There's a confusion and Jesus is clearing up the confusion that this young man had. Jesus pointed a religious Jew to the Old Testament law. He pointed him to the Ten Commandments and said, If you're going to achieve eternal life on your own, you're going to have to do it by perfectly obeying the law. If you're going to achieve eternal life on your own, you're going to have to do it by perfectly obeying the law. Now, please don't miss what Jesus was doing here. Don't miss what Jesus is doing in this passage with this young man. Jesus pointed him to the law not as a prescription to be saved, but as a diagnosis Of his condition. He was lost. Undone. In sin. You see you're going to have to keep the law perfectly. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Keep the law perfectly. The problem is you can't do that. Problem is it's never been done. Only by Jesus Christ. It's never been done. He pointed to the law to diagnose, and he wanted this man to see not only the one he was speaking to was God incarnate in the flesh, but also he needed this, uh, this man to understand that he was a lost, hell-bound sinner. But this young man says, oh, I've kept the law. All these things I've observed from my youth. This man, again, was a religious Jew. As a religious Jew in Judaism, Taught at that day, it had come to the point in Jesus' day, and we see it in the Pharisees. They taught him in the teaching of that day, and Judaism was and still is that you obtain your own righteousness, you obtain your own salvation by keeping of an Old Testament law. You obtain it yourself by the keeping of an Old Testament law. This man came to Jesus professing his self-righteousness. 
Oh, I've done that. Yeah, I've kept that. I'm pretty good. He was professing his self-righteousness before the one who had never sinned, the holy and righteous God. And in professing his self-righteousness and keeping of the law in his eyes, he's literally saying, God, our good master, Jesus, I've done all this for my youth. Don't you see, Jesus, I'm pretty good. Don't you see, Jesus, that I've kept these commandments. I've done that. I'm doing that. Jesus, take note. I want you to take note of my righteousness. That's literally what he's saying to him. I've done all of these things. And the issue here is, this is such a poignant and I think a very apt passage of Scripture because we are dealing with these kinds of things all around us. There are scores of people, scores of false religions, scores of churches all around us today who point out that they are keeping the law and this is proof of their salvation. And if you don't keep the law, you are not saved, nor can you be saved. They're pointing to an Old Testament law. I know people that will claim the name of Christ and, and live Old Testament. Live, uh, we're keeping a law. We, we got to keep all, as Gentiles, we got to keep all the feasts. We got to keep all the law. We got to do these things. Because this is the thing that we identify with. It brings about our self-righteousness. Let me say there is much confusion and even heresy on this matter everywhere around us. Confusion and even heresy all around us. Jesus pointed this man to the Ten Commandments not to confirm him in his self-righteousness, but to condemn him over his self-righteousness. This was the point. It's often been said, at least around these parts, I don't know how it is out in Phoenix, Brother McElroy, but down south, everybody's saved. And it's been said, you got to get them lost before you can get them saved. You got to get them lost before you can get them saved. What Jesus was doing is exactly what he was doing. He was helping him to see that he was lost. And he couldn't get there on his own. He couldn't get there by keeping some Old Testament law. Adrian Rogers, it was mentioned this morning, he, I heard several passages, maybe you heard some sermons this week, and Brother Rogers was preaching in some of these areas, and he made this statement. He said, the worst kind of human badness is the pride over human goodness. The worst kind of human badness is our pride about our human goodness. Understand there's no human goodness in all, in us at all. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If we had time, we'd go back into some passages and we'll note them in just a moment. But I wish we had time to read more and we're going to run out of time here. But the Bible talks about that our throats are an open sepulcher. Dead man, bones, living within us. There's nothing good within us. Notice in this passage, notice what Jesus does. 
out of verse number 19. Thou knowest the commandments, do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, I want you to see the compassion of Jesus here. The compassion. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus loved him. Please don't ever forget that. Don't ever say that Jesus has left me out of the loop. Don't ever say that Jesus doesn't love me. No, Jesus loved him. We see the compassion of Jesus. His great compassion for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We see the compassion of Christ. But not only the compassion of Christ, Jesus loved him. But then we see the calling of Christ. One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in earth. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Jesus pointed him to the first commandments dealt with the law dealing with mankind. How we interact with one another. Don't kill, don't steal, don't defraud, don't do these things, do not commit adultery. This man says, I've done all of these things. But then Jesus takes the law and he condemns him with the law. Because he says, one thing thou lackest, go and sell all that you had. What Jesus did here was expose the idolatry that was within his heart. Jesus used the law to expose his idolatry. The law does not... Tell us that we're saved. We cannot keep the law. But the law exposes our sin. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. And all these people around today that are running around saying, you got to keep some law, you got to keep some law. You cannot keep that law. But that that law does. It does not confirm your salvation, but it condemns you as a sinner. This in Jesus' Words to this young man, he pointed out the idolatry that was in his heart. This man loved his wealth, he loved his position, he loved his possessions more than he loved and he wanted eternal life. In the law, he was pronounced guilty. Guilty. Please understand Romans chapter 3 is clear, Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 7. I wish we had time, and maybe we'll come back and pick it up again. But wonderful chapters. It's very clear on why the Old Testament law was given. It was not given to save us, but it was given to show us that we needed a Savior. To show us that we needed to be saved. That we could not save ourselves. The law was given To display God's righteousness. The law was given as God's standard of perfection. If we're going to go to God's heaven, we're going to have to go to God's heaven God's way. And God's way is a perfect way. It's a way of perfection. It's God's standard. You see, we come to God and say, God, you deserve to let me into heaven. 
But we hadn't met his standards. We met everyone else's. We met our own. But God says you'll not get there on your own. You'll have to get there only by me and me alone. You see, the law displays God's righteousness. Romans 3. Let me read you a passage. Romans 3, verse number 19. Romans 3, 19. Please take note of this. Now we know... That what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The law displays God's standard. The law also demonstrates our sin. It shows us our sin. We're all guilty. The law shows me that I'm guilty. Verse 20 of Romans 3. Therefore by the deeds of the law. There shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law. God gave the law. To display his righteous perfection. His standard. He gave the law. To demonstrate or put our sin on display before us. Again, that law demanded perfection. This young man said, I've kept the law. Jesus, I've done all that. I've kept the law. James 2 and 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. You see, nobody's kept the law. You can't. You offend in one point. In one point, obey my, your mother and father. How many of, don't raise your hand, but how many of remember the time when that took place? And we could just go down the, down the list. You see, it, it displays, it demands our perfection. It displays God's righteousness, but also displays our sin. And if we say that we've not sinned, the Bible even answers that. Romans 1 and 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Don't ever say I didn't see it. Don't ever say that that I've kept the law and I'm good to go. Don't ever say that. There's a demand of perfection, a display of righteousness, and a display of God's righteousness, a display of our sin. The law declares and demands a penalty. Romans 6 and 23, the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18 and 20, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The law is not the savior of my soul, but the exposure of my sin before God. Galatians 3 and 24, the law was our schoolmaster. You ever had one of those... Teachers in school that just somehow you didn't click with them. <laughs> and you say, boy, I, I, I got math next year. Oh, no, I got it with Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so. Well, I'm dreading that. The law was our taskmaster, our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified How? By faith. The law does not 
prove that we're saved. The law proves that we're sinners to drive us to Christ, to cause us to call out to Christ. The law was given so that we might know a deliverer. His name is Jesus Christ. A deliverer, his name is Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3. Let me read you a few verses here. Being justified, how? Freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Not justified by what I'm doing. Not justified by keeping some law. Not justified by look at me and look how good I am. But justified freely through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Whom God hath sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. To declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. I declare, I say at this time, His righteousness. Paul says, I'm not declaring my righteousness. I'm declaring His righteousness. That we might be just. Excuse me, that He might be just. And the justifier of them that believeth in Jesus. Then Paul says... Where is the boasting then? It is excluded. Why am I boasting here? He says, it doesn't exist. Do I boast in the law? Do I boast in my good works? Nay, he says, no way, nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. This is the crux of the matter. Justified by faith without the deeds of the law. We see this man's status. It seemed like he had it all together. We see his seeking. He was confused. But Jesus clears up the matter for him. But notice in closing the sorrowfulness. He was sorry. Jesus gives all these things to him. And he tells him this. Verse number 22. And he was sad at, this, at that saying. He got the truth in his head. He was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. He was willing to die and go to hell and keep his sin and keep his idols rather than receive eternal life through Jesus Christ. His way. He was not sorry for rejecting Christ. He was sorry that Christ had said, you need to get rid of your idols. He loved his idols. God had exposed his heart. He went away. And then we come to this passage that we read earlier. How in the world can somebody be saved? My word, this seems so hard. It seems so difficult. How can one be saved? And even the disciples asked the question, Lord, who can be saved? This was a good man. It looked like everything was right on the outside. Who can be saved? Even in their thinking, in their upbringing, they had in their minds, certainly they had been tainted to think, maybe there's some law keeping that brings about my salvation. Maybe I need to help the Lord along here a little bit. And they were astonished out of verse number 26. 
out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And verse number 27 drives the stake home. It drives it and it clears up the matter for once and for all. For Jesus says, Looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible. You can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. But not with God. For with God, all things are possible. How can we be saved? Not by yourself. Not by keeping some law. Not by trying to do good, to do better. To fail and do better and to fail and do better. Oh, we're under the bondage of the law. But the deliverance from that law is found in Jesus Christ. He kept that law perfectly for us. And it is His righteousness. I boast not in myself, but I boast in what He has done for me. The imputed righteousness that Christ has placed on my account. Sins put in the sea of God's forgetfulness. Praise God. It's by Him and Him alone. Question this morning. Are you trying to save yourself? You say, preacher, that's an odd question. There are people all around us that that is the crux of the matter. It's still going on today. For by grace you save through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Can't boast before God. I have to stand before Him one day and give an account. Have I received Him as my personal Lord and Savior? Don't look at the individual in the paper on the front page. The individual lives beside us in our neighborhood and says, You know what? I'm not as bad as he is or she is. Matter of fact, my resume is quite a bit better than theirs. Let me tell you all the things they've done. I haven't done any of that. Listen, you're going to have to put your resume up against God himself. And it won't match up. But Jesus Christ came to die on a cross. So that you could be saved. So that you could be reconciled. And have his righteousness put on your account. Would you let him do that this morning? Listen. Go beyond the head knowledge. And let it migrate into the heart. And receive it. Receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. And truly be born again this morning. Dear Christian. We live our lives. In faith of Jesus Christ. We live the same way we got saved. By faith. Doesn't mean we don't try to do good. Doesn't mean we live right. We don't live right in order to be saved. We live right because we are saved. All the difference in the world. Are you saved? Are we living right? Let's bow our hearts in prayer.